0: Available in more homes than the Pac-12 Network, we are the podcast of champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online.
1: And here
0: he goes, Miles down. And I'm Ryan Abraham from
1: USCFootball.com. Liner
0: gonna try to sneak it ahead. Touchdown! SC.
1: We are the podcast of champions. David Woods, call it into our own voicemail. First of all, if everyone can hear this, I am very impressed that David figured out a way to get this voicemail on the actual podcast. He's got to do some editing, he's going to have to update the blog, all these things that are not really in David's wheelhouse. But they have a great time here on the uh, solo show of the podcast, of Champions. Wish I could join you. I'm in Dallas, actually Frisco, Texas, at the Star, where the Dallas Cowboys, uh, where they train uh, for the opening finals going to watch a lot of top high school football players that probably aren't going to be picking USC or UCLA. But that leads to my question. Here at the opening, it's different for me covering this. Usually there's a ton of USC targets, just one commit here uh, right now, one former commit. Uh, But for, for you, David, do you think Oregon or Washington can step up and be the top team in the conference as far as recruiting goes on a regular basis? If USC and UCLA continue to uh, trip over their own feet. Have a great show, and thanks.
0: Welcome, everyone, back to the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And if you just heard that voicemail, if I successfully put it in this podcast, then you know Ryan Abraham is not in the house today. Uh, He is at the opening in Dallas. And so I am manning this creaky ship by myself. Um, So I'm going to try to do this whole thing solo. We'll see how it goes. Uh, In response to Ryan's question, first of all, um, yes, I do think if uh, Chip Kelly continues to avoid recruiting as much as Cal avoids playing offense, um, and if Clay Helton continues to do whatever it is Clay Helton does over at USC then yeah Oregon and Washington uh can definitely take the reins and, and maintain them in recruiting but um you know USC and UCLA have some systemic advantages that you know has us always talking about their potential um and if they ever you know did get their stuff together again yeah they'll they'll recruit well um but for now uh yeah Oregon and Washington Uh, I think can definitely do it uh, for as long as USC and UCLA are mismanaged, which um, for UCLA, that's going on, oh, about 40 years now. Uh, For USC, it's more like a a decade. Um, All right. Well, kicking off the show, I'm going to do the stuff that Ryan always does, um, and uh, this is fun. Um, I'm not as smooth at it as he is. He's so smooth. Um, If you want to get a hold of us, you can email us at pac12podcast at gmail.com. We always appreciate emails. Um, we like to challenge ourselves in our reading skills, our ability to read out loud. It's important for us to do that. Uh, but if you're not into that, um, if you're into brevity, say, uh, or you just like to talk and you don't like to write, you can call or text us at 424-532-0678. Our Twitter is at Pac12Podcast. Our website is Pac12Podcast.com. And on iTunes, you can subscribe and rate us. We always enjoy a five-star rating. Um, specifically, if you want a five-star rate, this particular show, and say how much better it was without Ryan, that's lovely too. I wouldn't complain. Um, all right, we've got a lot of stuff to get over, go over, get over, whatever you want to say. Um, all words, all words mean the same thing uh, in the end. Um, but we have some topics we wanted to touch on, and well, I don't know why I'm saying we. I don't know why I'm doing it. I'm just gonna say I. I have some topics I want to talk about, and what I mean by that is I have some topics that the intern put into this document that I haven't read yet, and then I'm going to kind of read along with you as we go. Sound good? Great. Um, NCAA President Mark Emmert has responded to the California Bill 206 about how uh, California schools um, can now pay... Uh, athletes um, saying that they may be exempt from NCAA championship games going forward. So it's kind of a, you know, another piece on what we we were talking about last week. Um, So, you know, that that, there's a lot of time here. It seems like a lot of people are expecting them to come to an agreement. The most recent stuff from Wilner and such seems to be that, you know, the, the California is going to work with the NCAA to an extent. um, But the, we all know where this road is going eventually to paying players. So should be interesting to monitor over the next three years. Um, Washington, this is big time, got a big time commitment, verbal commitment in the 2020 class from the number one punter in the country. They're trying to wrest control of the special teams title from Utah, uh, Tristan Brown. Um, I'm guessing if he's the number one punter in the 2020 class, that's probably sailor rankings, which means he's unlikely to be an Australian. So that'll be interesting to see too. Um, what else? This is uninteresting. Um, Yeah, California has lobbied for a constitutional amendment regarding legalization of sports wagering, um, which will appear on the ballot next year. Uh, I think that's probably a bad thing, and you guys should all vote against it. Um, All right, another big thing. Um, So FanDuel released its projected football wins uh, for the 2019 season, Um, and not too many huge surprises here. Uh, Leading off the pack is Washington at nine and a half. Um, At nine each are Utah and Oregon. Eight and a half for Washington State, seven and a half for ASU, seven for Arizona, six and a half for Stanford, six and a half for USC, six for Cal, five and a half for UCLA, four and a half for Colorado, and two and a half for Oregon State. So I think um, we were all, we were both kind of hovering around these with our picks. Um, They might be overrating Arizona a little bit. Um, they might be overrating Colorado a little bit if you listen to Ryan, who hates Colorado. Um, Stanford, I think we had them right around 6-6, six and six, so that feels right. But, yeah, I mean, if you're looking at that, if you're looking at those over-unders, then that doesn't look like there's a playoff squad in here. So it'll be interesting to see if those hold up at all. Um, I think uh, we both had Washington, obviously, winning quite a bit more in the regular season. Um. So that is about it for our notes. Um, Yeah. Ryan's got another note in here, and I'm reading it, and I'm reading it. And no, it's not worth reading. So, all right, we have some questions to get to, quite a few questions to get to. Um, So I'm going to start with the email questions because I have not yet pulled up Twitter because this is a heavily prepared podcast podcast. That's what you should know. Um, But we'll start with the email questions. So these are ones that came in over the last week. Uh, This is from our man, Bernie. Um, Hi, guys. Following are my questions. For Dave, do you think Kelly's approach to recruiting hinders assistant coaches Justin Fry and Deshaun Foster's ability to land recruits? And then for Ryan, uh, well, we're not going to read that part. Um, Yeah, I do think uh, his approach to recruiting hinders uh, the ability of various assistants to land recruits. Um, I think he clearly, uh, doesn't, uh, put in, um, the same level of personal attention at the same, uh, uh, degree as say like a Mario Cristobal, obviously, but even like a Jim Harbaugh, even guys that you would otherwise consider serious football coaches, I think are putting in more personal time with their recruiting and anything you ever hear from an assistant coach is that you need a lot of time from the head coach, um, you want them to put in the FaceTime and, and, and talk to the kids as well. Um, so I, I do think, I mean, I, I think it's all part of it. I think it's all part of his strategy. I think it's all part of whatever. But I, I do think that they are, um, you know, having some trouble landing their targets. And I think a part of it, a big part of it, is Kelly's approach to it and Kelly's strategy for it. So it'll be interesting to see if that changes. Um, so Ryan's question is about the air raid, which I don't know. Um, all right. This is from Earl in West L.A. Pac-12 Network. Guys, so I get home from the golf course today and turn on the Pac-12 Network hoping for some football in 60 or one of the classic broadcasts. Instead, the national channel was showing a UCLA baseball game played two months ago, and the local channel was showing a USC women's soccer match from September 2016. It is beyond comprehension how these so-called television professionals can be so clueless about what their audience wants. Yes, so that was just a statement. And then... Dave, do you have a clue why UCLA can't beat Stanford? Since 2008 the last time UCLA beat Stanford, the Bruins have lost 11 in a row, including back-to-back losses in 2012. Is it bad luck, timing, or does Stanford just have UCLA's number? I mean, the, the the real answer is that it's um, you know, just kind of one of those things that happens with variance. It's not as if UCLA has been so bad in that time that they shouldn't have beaten Stanford at least a couple of times, but what you have is a program that's rolling, Stanford. I mean, since 2008, they've been pretty damn good at every year. Um, and you have a UCLA program that outside of three or four years has mostly been struggling in that time. Should they have won, you know, one or two of those? Yeah, probably. Probably more. Um, but it, it it's, you know, you, you've got that factor in place. And then you've got the simple variance of, you know, sometimes teams are going to go on runs against other teams. Um, so 11 in a row is obviously quite a lot, though. But there have been some close calls, um, a number of one-score games in that group, um, the Pac-12 title game in 2012, which would have been, I think, whatever, win four or five for Stanford in this run, uh, UCLA had a real chance in that game. Um, so there, there, there have been some ones, but it's just, you know, I think it was early on, I think Stanford definitely did have Rick Neuheisel's number, um, just because he didn't, he didn't really know what he was doing as far as coaching a football team. Um, and there was that famous line, I think Harbaugh was saying after a game where we only ran one running play and they just didn't ever seem to recognize it or know how to stop it, which is really a great thing to read, um, if you're a UCLA fan. Um, and then, uh, more recently, I mean, it's just been kind of competitive games at times, but also Stanford's just been really good. Um, and, uh, I think the way they play is a difficult matchup. And I know Mora was initially building his teams around defending against the spread Um, and I think they didn't really know what they were doing against Stanford, maybe a little bit, but it's, it's a unique challenge. And I don't think UCLA's coaches have been necessarily up to the task over the years. Um, all right. New text message. Don't know who this is from. Don't care. Uh, On the most recent show, Dave was asking, why would the Pac-12 take out a print ad in the NY Times? Smells to me like Champagne Larry is thinking he'll drive the price of his upcoming Pac-12 sales commission up by getting some Wall Street hedge fund manager to buy his bullshit. Maybe true. I mean, the markets that he cares about are not actually the ones that are located, you know, uh, in the footprint of the league, but instead are just kind of you know, the the people, the movers and shakers in the finance world. I wouldn't be surprised if that was maybe part of it. Very dumb, regardless. Um, all right. Uh, another one from Earl. Uh, Pac-12 Network and the Transfer Portal. Guys, slightly less than 24 hours ago, I wrote to you to vent my frustration with the crazy-ass programming on the Pac-12 Network. Being a glutton for punishment and because football kicks off in two months, I turned my TV onto the network again today. And was I disappointed? You betcha. This time the local LA network was rerunning the Pac Twelve Women's Beach Volleyball Championship game from April 28, 2017. What makes these idiots think anyone wants to watch a volleyball game from two years ago? So thinking the national network would be up more up to date, I checked it out and I was right. It was much more current. The National Channel was rerunning a baseball game played only six weeks ago. Hard to believe these clowns think a rerun of a college baseball game can compete with live Major League Baseball games. Obviously this network is not being run by people who know what they are doing. My question are there, US, are there UCLA or USC players still in the transfer portal? If so, who are they, and what are their options if they do not transfer? What is the likelihood they will return to their respective teams? Thanks for all you do, um, Earl in West LA. P.S. I don't care what anyone says. Dave is not a lard ass. Thank you, Earl. All right. Um, in the transfer portal right now, I do believe there are quite a few players on the UCLA end, at least, who are... Um, still kind of waiting for a final destination. Um, let's pull it up and I will let you know. So this is a neat tool, by the way. If you go to um, the homepage of 247 Sports, go up to football recruiting and look at the downs. There's one that says transfer portal and you can search for the most updated information we have at 247 Sports on each respective team. Um, all right. So there's a few guys. Brandon Stevens, Damian Alloway, Steven Johnson, Jimmy Jaggers, Audie Omatosho, Joshua Boko, uh, Paco Perez is in here. I don't know if he's actually transferring. Uh, Raheem Johnson, Octavia Spencer, and Austin Kent, who's actually been gone a few years. So maybe this is not, like, perfect, but um, quite a few guys, we don't know their destinations yet, so... um, That is, I guess, something to still monitor. I don't think any of those guys are coming back to UCLA, though. And then for USC, it looks like there are a few. Holden Thomas, whoever that is. Um, Achille Ross, apparently, has not yet determined where he's going. So it's those those two guys. Um, But, yeah, I mean, I think you can still have... They still have time to find a roster because school doesn't start until you know august at the earliest most of these schools so i think they still have time to get somewhere um but it's going to you know they need to they need to get a move on with that for sure um but i don't think there's any chance that most of those guys that UCLA has listed as uh, that any of them are going to return all right, uh, this is from just or from GO UCLA 05, Chip Kelly writing personal checks. GO UCLA 05 from the bro board again to the guy from Arkansas who wrote into the last podcast and asked in regards to UCLA's current recruiting situation if Chip Kelly was ready to start pers- writing personal checks to handlers. Come on, bro, everyone knows that the only personal checks that Chip Kelly writes are to disgruntled fans who demand a refund after the team embarrasses itself on the road. Exactly. If you guys remember that, that was after um, the LeGarrette blunt punch in uh, 2009 uh, after his first game as a head coach, where a fan wrote him a nasty letter about how, you know, the team sucked and, and, you know, they were garbage. And he, uh, because he'd gone to the game and Chip Kelly wrote him a personal check in response for his travel expenses. Um, All right. This is from Montlake Blake. Ultimate Pac-12 road trip. Gents. I was recently listening to the Cover 2 podcast as hosted by Athlon's Braden Gall and Mitch Light, and they went through an interesting exercise they titled Dream Road Trip 2019. Their concept was to each pick a game every week to hypothetically attend through the season. The main rule was that they couldn't see the same team twice. So what would be the ultimate 15-week Pac-12 road trip for 2019? Note, I'm counting week zero, Zona at Hawaii, which seems like a no-brainer to attend. I'll let you both pass on the Pac-12 title game, because let's be honest, nobody is going to attend that anyway. I'll let you lay out your own ground rules, but I suggest that at the very least, every conference team should be represented, and perhaps you can only visit the same venue at most twice. I'll divert to you how much you want to weight the combined factors of intrigue of game, enjoyability of venue, surrounding activities, etc. This might be tough to fight it through on the pod without a little homework, definitely David's Forte, so feel free to hassle- half-ass it or disregard entirely. Well, I will be half-assing it, Blake. Uh, Last year, I had the fortune to see... The good fortune to see Sparty play Sparky. My wife went to Michigan State before road tripping up to see my Huskies beat the Utes, hitting five national parks on the way. It was an amazing experience to say the least. I can't recommend highly enough that fans get out and experience their conference-made stadium and the amazing sights about in the West. P.S. Apologies if this gets you in trouble for stealing Athlon's idea. I figured if our current First Lady can steal our previous First Lady's speeches word for word, then plagiarism is one of the many sins that have become part of the new normal. All right. Let me pull up the week-by-week schedule for the Pac-12, and we will do this. Um, the obvious answer for week one, or week zero, or whatever you want to call it, is going to be Arizona, because they play in Hawaii. Um, but we will get the full makeup for this. Um, all right, so Pac-12. All right, so week zero. So we're going to start in Hawaii. Arizona at Hawaii. Um Obviously, you're going to have to fly there, maybe take a boat, but no matter what, you're flying there and flying back because there's nothing else going on in Hawaii. Um, so that's the beginning of your road trip. Um, after that, I think the most exciting game and probably the one that you're going to want to attend is in Arlington, Texas, Oregon at or against Auburn. Um, we've talked about this all offseason, but that's probably the game that's going to mean the most for the early league and, and how things are shaken out. Um, so you're in Texas and from there, you've got a few different options. Actually, you can go all the way back to Los Angeles to watch Stanford at USC, which will give you, I think maybe some information about two of the middling powers that both could be very good this year or both could, you know, really tank. So that'll be interesting. You also have Nebraska at Colorado, which shorter drive from texas like if we're doing a full road trip where we're you know completing this whole thing which i don't even know if you said that but i'm gonna include that as like kind of one of the parameters it's an easier drive and super cool game old rivalry uh back for this year at least um but i think i would be going all the way back to los angeles for stanford at usc um i think it's better than everything else on this schedule game wise and i think it's going to give you the most information and uh yeah All right, after that, in week three, um, I would say the best game is probably Arizona State, Michigan State. Um, You know, uh, there's a few games with potential, Washington State at Houston, uh, Stanford UCF, uh, USC BYU. But if I'm trying to weigh, you know, Arizona State's another team with some potential this year, return a bunch of their offensive line, pretty much that whole running game, just need to replace quarterback. Uh, there's a whole lot of FCS complete crap going on this week. Uh, UCLA is going to self-sacrifice against Oklahoma. Yeah, so I would go with Arizona State, Michigan State. So you're getting out to East Lansing, Michigan. Um, so that's a long haul. But, uh, you know, it's probably not a place that many of you are going to go in your life. So why not enjoy the environs of East Lansing? All right, after that, we get more into the meat of conference play, but... This is the obvious one because there's some good games: Oregon, Stanford, UCLA, Washington State, Utah, USC. Great games, all great games. But you're gonna want to get yourself over to Oxford, Mississippi, to watch Cal going at Ole Miss. Uh, that is a bucket list item for anybody who's really interested in tailgating. Uh, you should check that out. Uh, the following week, week five, um, this is the one where I think you're you're really getting into conference play now, and I think the the there's there's really two options I see for you. You can either go to Utah and watch Washington State come to town, um, and those two teams both have the potential to be you know double digit winners again if Washington State can figure out its quarterback situation. But I think you got to do USC Washington. Uh, Washington is going to be the favorite in the North, and USC has a chance. That's all you can really say about USC in the Clay Helton era, but they do have a chance. This will be um, potentially. There's a chance this is USC firing Clay Helton after this game. You know, tarmac him at LAX. There's potential here. So I think you're on your way to Seattle to watch that one. Um, Following week, um, it's a little bit slimmer. Arizona, Colorado, not great. Cal, Oregon could be interesting. Oregon State, UCLA, not great. So I think you're going to Stanford to watch Washington at Stanford. Only four games in week six. In week seven, okay, so this one, you've got an option, but we've already seen USC twice, so I don't know if we want to watch them die again, but there's not a whole lot that's great. Colorado, Oregon, not great. Utah, Oregon State, not great. Washington State, Arizona State has potential. Washington, Arizona. You know what? Since we've already seen USC a bunch, and frankly, Notre Dame, the Washington at Arizona. See how Washington does in the desert. That's been a trip up game for them in the past. So I would head there. Week eight, uh, UCLA, Stanford, Arizona State, Utah, Arizona, USC, Oregon State, California, Colorado, Washington State, and Oregon and Washington. There's an obvious answer here. You got to watch Oregon, Washington. That's the two big contenders in the North this year. Will Justin Herbert slay the dragon? That's going to be hurting from last year. Uh, all right, week nine. You've got USC, Colorado, Washington State, Oregon, Arizona State, UCLA, Arizona, Stanford, and Cal, Utah. So slim Pickens here. Um, I would probably opt for um, California at Utah, um, mostly because we haven't been there yet. I think it could be an interesting defensive struggle. I think there's a chance Cal, Cal's going to be more than frisky this year. Um, so let's go Cal, Utah. Uh, week 10. You got Oregon State, Arizona, Utah, Washington. I mean, we've seen Washington a lot, but this is maybe the favorite in the South, favorite in the North. Got to go Utah at Washington in Seattle. Week 11, Washington, Oregon State, USC, Arizona State, Washington State, Cal, Stanford, Colorado. Boy, howdy. That is not a good slate of games. Let's go Stanford, Colorado. Boulder's lovely. Um... Arizona State, Oregon State, Arizona, Oregon, USC, Cal, UCLA, Utah, Stanford, Washington State. This is in week 12. Um, I'm probably opting for, I might opt for Stanford, Washington State here, but there's, you know, could could you could talk me into uh, taking a flyer on one of the South schools, USC or UCLA, making it interesting at this point. But I'll go Stanford, Washington State. Week 13, you've got Oregon-Arizona State, Utah-Arizona, Cal-Stanford, Washington-Colorado, Oregon State-Washington State, UCLA at USC. Probably got to pick a rivalry game here. Um, We'll go UCLA-USC. UCLA took one last year. Maybe they'll do it again at the Coliseum. Week 14, you've got the Apple Cup. You've got the Territorial Cup. You've got Cal versus UCLA, whatever that one's called. You've got Colorado-Utah, whatever that one's called. You've got the Civil War, and you've got um, a tree taking on some Irish folks, here I am probably going to go. I'll go Territorial Cup, though again, you could talk me into Notre Dame if you really wanted to, but I'll go Territorial Cup, and that is the end of the season. So I hope I drew you up a great little road trip. Uh, Please enjoy it. All right. This is from Paul SEC Country. Uh, Dave, it seems odd that you cover UCLA while living 2,000 miles away. What problems do you face in doing your job? Does this interfere with you responding to text messages? Do you ever feel inadequate being surrounded by Bama, Georgia, Auburn, etc.? Ryan, keep up the good work. Thanks, Paul. <laughs> um, well, I, I so I downsized my job after I moved out here um, because I was doing like the full time beat work, like covering practices and doing all the interviews and all that kind of stuff, and obviously that would be difficult to do uh, 2,000 Miles Away, even with the restrictive media access that Jim Mora, late, late period Jim Mora and Chip Kelly seem to allow. Um, So mainly what I do now is watch the games, write about them, preview the seasons, um, write a bunch of preview articles throughout the year, and then I try to get out at least once a year to watch like a week of practices. Um, And from like a writing about the team standpoint, I don't think I'm, you know, any worse than I ever was, which is, you know, pretty bad. Um, but I think it's from that perspective, just like watching games, I find it honestly to, to pick up more on the game the first time around when I'm watching it, it's easier if I'm watching it on TV, I can rewind, watch things again, like kind of in real time. Um, so that actually makes it a little bit easier. Um, but the challenges are obvious from a time zone standpoint. You know, I have to stay up pretty late, uh, to watch the games. Um, And I have a day job, so staying up that – for, like, the Thursday night games, those are brutal, you know, staying up till like, 1 in the morning. Um, But, you know, it's – as I get older, it'll probably be harder and harder. Um, But I can still, you know, recover pretty easily after staying up till 2 or 3 in the morning. Um, But it's not ideal. Um, Yeah, I try not to respond to text messages um, at an inopportune time. Like, I try not to respond to them when I see them, which is at, like, 5 in the morning my time. Because invariably the people texting me are um, in the West Coast. But then what that ends up happening, what it ends up leading to is I don't actually ever respond to the text message because I'm trying to. My initial instinct is good. I'm trying to be polite. But I need to write myself like a note like, hey, you need to actually respond to this at some point. Because then it gets to like two days later. And who's going to respond to a text message two days later? I'd rather just let the whole thing die and never be friends with that person again than respond to a t- text message two days late. Right? that's normal. Um, I never feel inadequate. Uh, It's certainly not surrounded by fans of Bama, Georgia, and Auburn, for Christ's sake. Who feels inadequate about people who root for Bama, Georgia, and Auburn? Have you seen those people? Um, All right. Tour in Ronert Park. That all sounds fake. Anyway, uh, latest podcast of Champagne larians Hello, gents. I just wanted to drop you a quick email slow cap for the unfettered sardonic brilliance of your last installment of the POC. David's predictable but magnificent takedown of Ryan for his DTR has a jello arm assertion was right on form, but it was the contributions of Mr. Abraham that really pushed the episode to the highest levels your podcast has ever attained. Wow, high praise. Granted, that means it still just barely clears the tolerable bar. All right, low praise. But kudos are in order nonetheless. I very much enjoyed the judging of mascot merits on the ability scale. Chris Peterson's non-OKPs, and, and Ryan officially kicking off the Get the Juice in the Booth campaign. These dark, petty moments represent, represent some of your best content. To date, keep reaching for middle. Love the podcast. tour. Yeah, Ryan was on fire last week. Uh, he's been great this week, too. Um, all right. Uh, this is a text message that came in random parts, so I need to pull it up. So you'll just have to excuse me vamping right here for just a second because I don't have a co-host who's gonna you know fill the silence while I'm pulling something up on my computer, which maybe I could have accounted for um, beforehand, but I didn't uh, because I don't. So, oh, this is the wrong account. All right. No, we're just we're just still moving right along. We're having a good time, all of us together. All right, this is from our man, Choney19. Hey, guys, great job with everything. A bunch of questions coming your way. One, with such a big pool of players from the transfer portal, if a coach decided to recruit exclusively or the majority from there versus high school talent, would they be worse or better teams for it? My gut says no, but at the same time, there is such a big pool, and you have to project less with players that have already had some time, and you have to project less with players who have already had some time in a college football program. Um, I think it it should be an aspect of what coaches are doing, Um, but I think when you're looking at transfers, you always have to look at why they're transferring. Um, Oftentimes, guys who enter the transfer portal are simply not as good as they uh, looked to be coming into college, and the reason they're transferring is because they're not playing. And so you have to look at your program level, their program level, look at fit, um, you have a lot more information, but um, I think you have to be a little bit stricter in who you're taking through the transfer portal because there's a lot of reasons why guys transfer. Um, it could be you know they're looking for a better academic opportunity and they realize they don't love football that much, but they want to get into a school that's a little bit better. That happens, um, or they could be guys you know who who just can't hack it at that level. Um, so I think you need to be more even more judicious with those ones, um, even if they look you know it's like a gift horse. Um, you, you want to look that sucker in the mouth. I mean, really you do. Um, and then, uh, but yeah, I think the main thing is you still have to, you're still going to have to focus on, um, high school, uh, prospects no matter what, uh, given the chance, what would be your thoughts on your respective teams moving to the new LA stadium? Um, I don't care. Um, I'm sure Ryan is similar boat. Um, for, for USC though, it's a little bit better cause it's nearly on campus uh, UCLA, I don't care. I mean, I know the Rose Bowl is iconic and it's really cool and the whole deal and, and tailgating there is nice, but, um, I, I, it's kind of an old dinky stadium when you get down to it. Um, and being in a newer venue, that's, you know, maybe got better seating accoutrement or whatever. I don't, I, I don't care about any of that. Cause I'm not going to probably go there except in the press box ever. Um, but, yeah, I mean it's uh I don't I don't have any strong opinion about it, but I'm you know my tailgating days are uh, long since past. Um, any chance the UCLA USC game gets played there? I would almost bet on it at some point that they start doing. You know, maybe they do like an occasional neutral site there. I mean, why not? Might be a good way to, um, I don't know, get a new set of people out to the game. Who knows? Um, hindsight, which coach would have been better if hired Bo Baldwin versus Jonathan Smith at OSU Ed Orgeron versus Helton at USC keeping Graham versus Edwards at ASU Shaw versus Harbaugh at Stanford Whittingham versus Kelly at UCLA someone versus the Navy triple option coach. Um, all right, uh, Bo Baldwin versus Jonathan Smith. I would probably go, you know, Bo Baldwin hasn't lit it up, um, as the OC, so I would probably stick with Smith there. But I don't know if those had to be your two options. I think you could have gotten Ken Nayamatololo as well. Uh, Orgeron would have been better than Helton. Um, Graham would have been better than Edwards. Um, Harbaugh would have been better at Stanford, I think. But that one you could talk me into either way. Um, Harbaugh might be one of those guys who has a short shelf life no matter where he goes. So let's say Shaw actually there. Um, Whittingham versus Kelly. Whew, whew. Uh, that's that's a steamy one. Um I'll still go Kelly for now, um, but I'm interested to see how this year's goes. Uh, Sumlin versus uh, Naya Matalolo. I would go Naya Matalolo. And thanks, guys, and enjoy your European vacation in July, Ryan. All right. Next up, we have Hithliday, our man Hithliday Almond. Jibber-jabber. Cal had a coaching shakeup this offseason that I think has escaped noticed. They lost their defensive line coach, Tony Tuioti, one of my favorites from Hawaii, to the same job at Nebraska and replaced him with Andrew Browning, who held that job for five years at UTEP. Any thoughts on that situation or the possibility it's a downgrade? Uh, I don't have extensive thoughts on it. Um, I generally think that... Um, the hierarchy of, of coaches, the, the things that matter the most are your head coach, then your coordinators, and then your position coaches. Um, and I think if you've got a good coordinator and you've got a good defensive head coach, which I think Cal does in both areas, um, the individual position coaches matter less. That's not to say they don't matter. They just matter less. Um, so even with the possibility that it might be a downgrade, I would still say that I would expect Cal's defense to be very good again. Um, Just because I don't, I don't think that that level of attrition. And I also think a guy like Wilcox and a guy like um, Tim DeReuter, Reuter, Brian pronounces it. I don't pronounce that name. Um, I think they're both, uh, they're, they're probably, I I would generally trust their hiring. Um, So uh, I'm interested to see what Browning does, but I don't have, you know, extensive thoughts on it. Uh, Burl Toller and Nicholas Edwards swap jobs. The former is now the receivers coach and the latter, the running backs. Does that seem weird to you? If one or both are underperformed, why would giving them a different job help? This I will buy. Um, I don't really understand this one. Um, I think you could have done with some real changing of the guard on offense, given how bad they were. Um, I, it does strike me as weird, but also uh, not knowing the internal dynamics of the thing, One or both of them might have been doing something else anyway. Um, So it might have simply been the case that, you know, one had the title of being the receivers coach, but they're actually spending all their time on special teams or something. I don't know. Um, But it'll be interesting to see if that shakes out at all differently. Uh, Three, offensive coordinator Bo Baldwin has seized the QB coaching duties from now tight end coach Marcus Tuya I'm sure the reason is the catastrophic QB indecision last year. Although since Baldwin and Justin Wilcox signed off on those moves, my faith that it, this is in the end of the that this is the end of that problem is minimal, uh, and they're keeping him around for recruiting reasons. But his peripatetic career in the Pac-12 has led him to be the passing game coordinator at every Pac- California school except Stanford. So there must be something that coaches keep seeing in him. Do you boys have any thoughts on Marcus T and his time at UC, USC and UCLA? Yeah, so uh, Tuesa Sopa was the inside receivers coach at UCLA uh, before he moved on to... um, I think at that time he had moved on to Washington, I want to say. Let me pull up Marcus's career. Um, And I think it was after that that he went to USC. But let me pull it up real quick so I'm not misleading you. So he started out, um, I think he was at... Washington as as a strength coach, then he GA'd at UCLA in 2011, then he was the UCLA tight ends coach in 2012. In 2013, Sark's last year at Washington, he was the QB coach and then took over as the interim head coach. Um, then he went to USC as the tight ends coach. Then he went back to UCLA as the QB coach. Then he went to Cal as the QB coach and passing game coordinator. And then he was, now he is the tight ends coach. Um, I would say at UCLA when he was a GA was probably the best quarterback work that I saw from UCLA that year, which isn't saying much. Um, but Brett Hundley, Brett Hundley made a bunch of strides at the end of his redshirt year, I think a lot because of what Sopo did in December with him. Um, but I don't know um, what kind of QB coach he's been at these different spots. Um, moving around like this, I, I some of it's just kind of luck. For, so from UCLA to Washington, that made sense because Washington was his um, you know, that was his alma mater. Um, it gets to be a QB coach, which is his position. So that move made sense. Then Sark left. Did I say Sark was fired earlier? He should have been fired. Instead, he moved on to USC. And when Sark left for USC, um, Tuias came with him because he didn't think he'd be retained necessarily by the new staff. So he goes to USC and coaches there, uh, as the tight end coach and associate head coach because the QB coach spot was occupied. Um, but then he moved on to UCLA to be the QB coach there, which made sense in 2016. Um, but in 2017, UCLA hired Jed Fish to run the offense, and he's a QB coach kind of guy. So instead, two Sosopa moves on to Cal. So the only one in this where I would see he had like a a clear demotion that wasn't due to changing jobs was from Cal to Cal this past year when he went from QB coach and passing game coordinator to tight ends coach. That's a clear demotion. It uh, doesn't speak, you know, greatly to his skills as a QB coach Um, but at no other spot did I think he did a bad job QB coaching Um, and Cal I wonder how much of that was just the the design of that offense and just the sheer lack of talent they had at quarterback I mean I would say that's probably um, the number one thing I would have taken away but if you got to blame somebody and you're not firing your offensive coordinator then QB coach it is Christian McCaffrey. All right, so this is one of our angry Stanford fans. Uh, Jonathan and Lafayette, they're never angry. They're always very measured. Uh, dear Forgetful Ones, last week Dave encouraged the two Stanford fans to write strongly worded emails disputing his inane claims about the explosive Christian McCaffrey. I write to fulfill your request. Before I get to that, another dispute. I have counted four Stanford fans that have written to this Hindenburg of a podcast. I understand why you SoCal partisans would be confused. Four is a large number when you are used to numbers like the count of UCLA victories last year, three, or the number of points USC scored against Stanford last year, also three. Now on to McCaffrey. I would crush you with pages of statistics or CMC videos. Yes, he was phenomenal returning kicks en route to breaking Barry Sanders' single-season all-purpose yards record, but contra Dave's argument, he had 4,577 yards from scrimmage over two years. He threw two touchdown passes. In fact, he ran for a TD, caught a TD pass, and threw a TD pass all in one game, the Pac-12 championship game. Yeah, that's definitely not exciting. Yes, Bryce Love was even better the next year at making downfield tacklers miss. Side note, David and UCLA fans, you may want to look up what a downfield tackler is. However, Christian was more dynamic in every other facet of the game, and he was far less feast or famine. I would concede Mariota as the most exciting player of the decade, but Christian is a firm second place. As punishment, I ask you to rate the following Stanford-related hot takes on a scale of plausibility ranging from 1 to 5, where 1 is totally implausible, e.g., Bryce Love won't get into med school, and 5 is certain, David Shaw won't be fired in 2019. All right, so plausibility scale. All right, here are the options. A, the best Pac-12 rivalry of the decade is actually Stanford-USC, but you've forgotten because of the terrible game last year. Best game 2011 Stanford Triple OT win, including the never throw the Venus on Spider 2 Y banana pick six, made famous in Gruden's quarterback camp. All right, seems somewhat plausible. Uh, No one talks about it, but Stanford requires an outstanding fullback to be able to run the ball. I mean, that seems pretty plausible. Okay, um, there's two plausibles there. Uh, Paul Sinadibo is by far the best player on the roster. I think he's really good. I don't think anyone's taking that title from Colby Parkinson. So I'm saying that's pretty implausible. Uh, if Cory Booker wins the Democratic nomination, it will help Stanford football recruiting. Very implausible on like two counts. Uh, David Shaw is the coach that should go all in on using statistics to make game decisions like going on fourth down. Very plausible. All right, so David Shaw, that's number one. They, He would be better off doling that out to a computer. Uh, number two, I would say the next most plausible thing is that the best rivalry of the decade was actually Stanford-USC. Uh, third most plausible is the requiring an outstanding fullback to be able to run the ball. Fourth is Paul Sanadibo, and fifth is Corey Booker. Keep up the halfway decent, decent work and show a little more respect for greatness. Fair enough, Jonathan. All right, question. Hi, this is Nick from Cyprus, a.k.a. Big Nick, 21 usc from the P. Question is simple. Since you guys have disdain for PAC, for the Pac-12, Larry, who would be a great... Since you guys have great disdain for the Pac-12 and Larry Scott, who would be a great replacement for Larry? You can use an AD, school president you like, etc. I get you don't like him, but you need a legit replacement. No lame, smart-ass remark, Dave or Ryan. If you're going to complain about someone, you need a realistic re- replacement. Ryan, we should know better getting rid of Pat Hayden and replacing him with Lynn Swan hasn't really worked out well. Fight on. No, no, this is a, this is a nonsense piece of logic, Nick. When you're firing somebody, you don't necessarily know who's going to take his job or her job. You just know that that person sucks at their job and you need to get a replacement, so you fire him. Um, and then you do interviews and you figure out, no, you're not identifying your candidate months in advance before you're even thinking about firing the guy. I mean, some people do that, but you don't certainly don't have to operate that way. And I certainly don't, as a you know person who just talks shit on a podcast. Um, but as for ads, school presidents, I like. Um, I don't know that Greg Byrne guy was pretty good. I think he's the AD at Alabama now, though. Um, but I think generally the commissioners of the conference come from a different um, set of you know. Uh, I, I generally don't think they're ads um they're typically like executive types um so i don't know um larry's really bad though they should fire him immediately and then begin a search all right uh this is from edub straight to my questions uh ucla seems to never be able to land legacies is it like that at most schools are kids picking what's best for them or they or are they still choosing where their parents went 25 years ago your thoughts on legacies um yeah, UCLA tends to have some trouble there. Um, I don't know if it's a, um, a, you know, one of those logical fallacies where we're like because we're paying attention to it, we see more and more of these guys who are legacies who don't come, but there are a bunch of legacies who do end up coming. Uh, but it does seem like a heavy percentage of UCLA guys uh, don't end up coming to UCLA, and I think it all boils down to the same reason a lot of high-profile guys don't go to UCLA anymore. Uh, you have to be kind of good to make that happen, and you also have to be kind of good at recruiting to make that happen. Um, and I think, uh, UCLA hasn't been good uh, on the field in a few years now and, uh, hasn't been good in recruiting for a full year and a half now. Um, and when that happens, uh, generally recruiting is going to go poorly and even legacy recruiting is going to go poorly. So I don't think you have to search for weird reasons for anything when the, when the real reasons are just staring you right in the face. UCLA isn't very good at recruiting, so they're not going to be very good at recruiting anybody. UCLA isn't very good on the field, so they're not going to be great at attracting anybody. Um. They have to work doubly hard at the recruiting, which they haven't been. Anyway, um, also, how would you rank the coaching staffs 1 through 12 in terms of player development? How would you rank each staff in terms of recruiting? Okay, this is going to be a little bit more difficult, um, and you know how I dislike difficulty. Um, I think the top two, in whichever order you want, I'll go Washington, number one. I'll go Utah, number two. I'll go Washington State, number three. I will go... After that, we'll go Stanford. After that, we will go. After that, it gets kind of wishy-washy. Um, at the bottom of the group, I think you can safely put Oregon State. Um, UCLA is in that bottom group. USC is in that bottom group. Um, Arizona and Arizona State, I think, are middling because again, you, when you're when you're doing this, it's How do they recruit relative to how do they play is generally how I would think about this question. And Arizona State and Arizona, generally pretty middling, and they generally recruit pretty middling classes, so they're going to be pretty middling here. Um, Colorado's in that bottom group, too. Um, Cal is probably in the same boat as Arizona. Um, Yeah uh Oregon State we did uh, we haven't done Oregon yet I don't know if they've really outplayed their talent we'll put them fifth okay so here's my order you can disagree whatever you want to do um but I'll go Washington one Utah two Washington State three Stanford four Oregon five Arizona six Arizona set Arizona State seven but those could flip-flop I don't care 8, California, uh, 9, USC, 10, Colorado, 11, UCLA, and 12, Oregon State. UCLA, I would expect to rise a little bit because even with the crap Chip Kelly's recruiting, I still expect them to to win some games. Um, How would I rank each of them in terms of recruiting? I don't know enough about the relative situations to rank them all in recruiting, um, but development I can do based on the rankings. Um, Jake Browning's legacy will never die. This is from Jake Browning's least biggest fan. Hey, Dave, I'm sure the solo pod is going great. When us slackers are given the choice of carrying a project alone, it almost never goes well, but I'm sure you're the exception to not the rule. Two questions. One, has there ever been a quarterback in the Pac-12 or anywhere in football who is more infamous for their weak arm than Jake Browning? Ooh, boy, what a question. Um, no, I, I mean, I'm trying to think if there's anybody... Because, all right, part of the thing is that we are like... Um, Vicious and mean, and not too many people covering college sports because you know these are unpaid athletes are as vicious and mean as we have been in the past, and we make no apologies for it, but it is the truth. Um, so you don't often hear those sorts of negative evaluations about guys as much, um, at least in the like throughout their careers. It's more like you know, some things that are said about them in the NFL draft process, maybe. Um, so I can't think of one off the top of my head, but there's probably a dozen big 10 quarterbacks who've started in the last like five years who have been as weak armed. Um, so I just can't think of any off the top of my head. Uh, two, has there ever been a player in the PAC 12 where he gets more praise outside the conference than inside talking to fans from outside the PAC 12? They seem to think Jake Browning was actually a very good quarterback. Whereas us fans inside the conference know he was barely a top 10 quarterback in conference. Yeah, I mean, this is one of those things where familiarity breeds contempt. But also, I mean, if you're more familiar with the situation, you might have a more accurate opinion. Um, you know, there's corollaries to that. Sometimes, if you're too close, you you know don't you miss the the forest for the trees. But I think when you look at Jake Browning's stats, they're they're good. Um, even though there was a notable you know downward turn over the the years he was in Washington. Um, but if you were actually watching the games and you saw how much. They struggled at times, or how hard it was for him to get certain things happening in the offense. Um, how hard it was for him to hit certain throws, and how he missed a lot of throws. Um, the frustration level that Chris Peterson like was notably showing, especially this past year with Browning. Um, I think when you see all of that stuff, when you're watching all of those games and you see all that, it's it's a lot easier to to come to the the truth, which is that he was you know a fine enough college quarterback, but nothing much beyond that. Um, but I think, uh, you know, if you're outside of the league, you're maybe catching one game a year or two game, games a year at best, most likely just catching highlights where, you know, when Browning was, you know, 2016 throwing those rainbow bombs to John Ross. I mean, the guy can throw it far. He just can't throw it very hard. Um, but when he was like throwing those loopy throws to John Ross, that just fell in his bread every time. I mean, that looked pretty. And if that was all you ever saw, then well, okay. Jake Browning's pretty good, but, um, we know the truth. All right. This is from our man, Scott. Hi, Dave. Thanks for holding down the fort and doing a solo podcast. Also, please find more ways to use the Browning scale. Pure genius. I'm curious why Leach doesn't pull in higher ranked players at receiver and quarterback. I understand Pullman isn't for everyone, but between his air raid offense and his record the past four or five years, I thought he would draw more attention. Um, Yeah, it's interesting. I wonder how much of it is him recruiting for fit and that sort of thing, as opposed to guys not totally being interested. Um, I would think that would change now, especially with more NFL offenses looking more and more like air raid schemes, Cliff Kingsbury being hired. Um, I I would just wonder if maybe that would be changing a little bit, especially with what Pat Mahomes is doing um, with the Chiefs. Um, With them doing so well of late, I would think they would start getting a few more sniffs from higher ranked guys at receiver and and quarterback especially, but it it doesn't appear to be happening yet. Um, So that it's, you know, maybe it's just the kind of thing where they don't want the hassle of dealing with uh, the super high-powered recruitments. And frankly, I, Leach, we've talked about this on the show before, but Leach's evaluation eye for receiving talent, it's exceptional. I mean, the guys he's getting that are just kind of three-star nobodies who turn into dynamite receivers up there, it's, it's that's, that's a real talent he has, and uh, anybody can play quarterback in his offense, including you. Um, so yeah, I think he's, he's got his, he's got his system and I don't think he's going to break too far outside of his system. Uh, if you could change one thing in Mike Leach's offense, what would it be? Hell throw more buddy. Um, you know, the only thing I would change and I don't know what the answer to it is, but the only thing I would change is, uh, figure out some way to adjust it for the Washington state game. I think that offense is perfect in the other 11 games of the year. Um, when they've got a quarterback out there who can really run it, um, which we saw last year, it's intensely hard to cover unless you're Washington. Um, Jimmy Lake has that thing figured out, and Leach needs to figure out how he has it figured out, and then do something different. Uh, Even if it's just throwing in a couple of wrinkles, but um, running out the same offense year after year against Washington is going to lead to a whole lot of blowouts. Uh, Where's the best place to watch a game? Press box, sidelines, or stands? Um, If you've got to pick one of these, it is definitely the press box. Sidelines kind of suck, um, you don't get a full view of the game. Stands are okay. If you get high enough up, um, there's this whole misconstrued impression that the closer you are to a football game, the better, but you really need to be high up to see the whole thing. Um, so, uh, 50 yard line, about halfway up would probably be the ideal si- uh, stands viewing. And then press box is even better than that. Cause you get stats and things while you're sitting there. Um, so there's a lot more context. If you're like a, you know, if you're trying to like engage with the game and like a any kind of intellectual level. If you're just there to go rah-rah, then you can be anywhere. Um, what is one stadium outside the Pac-12 you'd visit for a game and why? Oh man, I'd visit so many, but um, LSU is uh, probably, I've just heard so many things about that being just an insane experience that I would, I will probably do that um, before I, if ever I leave the South. Um, there was Ryan's voicemail. And then from Pumpy from Maltby, Herbert Roadwinds, Oh, this is going to be snarky. Uh, The defending offseason Heisman Award winner, Justin Herbert, has managed just three road wins over the past three years. With games at Auburn, Stanford, Washington, uh, USC, and ASU, what are the chances he makes it to five? Okay. At Auburn, well, Auburn is not at. That's not a road game, so we have to remove that from the list. Um, So if he makes it to five, it will have to come from Stanford, Washington, SC, and ASU. Pretty good chance against ASU. I think an even chance against Stanford and SC. So they'll be favored against ASU, probably. They'll be more or less even, I think, against Stanford and SC. And they'll be dogs against Washington. So I'd say a decent chance he gets to five. I don't know which ones he'll win, but I think a decent chance. I think they'd go two and two in that stretch. All right. Well, that is it for our emails. And now we got to go to Twitter and answer your questions there. Uh, We are clocking in at a clean 51 minutes right now, which is a hell of a long time to go when you're just talking by yourself. I'll tell you that. Um, All right. So we will start at the very beginning. It's a very good place to start. All right. um, Okay. Uh, uh, This is from at knee underscore co underscore G, your definitive breakfast food power rankings all right um i think i've gone on the record on this show to dis- about disliking um eggs uh that comes to the corollary and this is going to be a weird one for you people so sit down i'm not okay i'm fine with omelets omelets are fine you put a bunch of stuff in there the egg is just kind of a carrying case but you give me plain eggs i might throw them in your face um but the the order is really easy um you start with the breakfast meats bacon very good breakfast sausage. Very good. Uh, you even like do like a, a, one of those like breakfast steaks. That's great. Love that. Um, then you've got your like, uh, your basic cereals. Like those generally are fine. Um, and you've got, uh, the thing that I'm not a big fan of is like the French toast, the waffles, the pancakes, all that stuff, because it's, it's just horrible for you. Right. But it's not as good as the things that are horrible for you that you could eat later in the day. Like, why eat a bunch of waffles with syrup? Just go eat some ice cream, buddy. Like, it doesn't. It, you're you're doing the same thing to yourself. You're 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 slowly trying to kill yourself. So why not do it in a slightly more delicious way? That's my that that's the thing with breakfast for me. Is it's all stuff that like, would you really want to eat that at any other time of the day? And I know there's some people who've been trained to be like, yeah, breakfast all day, it rules. No, it doesn't, and you know it doesn't. Every other, every other, like, mealtime has better options and more options. Like, why would you do this to yourself at breakfast? Why would you sully every sandwich with an egg just because it's breakfast time? No, go eat a roast beef sandwich. Who cares? You're eating, it's the same thing. It's the same thing. Um, but more to the point, just skip breakfast, eat lunch at 10 a.m., and live a better life. All right. Uh, this is from fourth gen Bruin. Uh Serious question. What is the bignest, biggest, not bignest. Just so you know, bigness is not a word, everyone out there. Um, serious question. What is the biggest weakness? Oh my God, I cannot say these words. What is the biggest weakness or worry for each Pac-12 team heading into this season? Man, that's, what? Are you asking me? What? Come on. Um, UCLA's is its pass rush. USC's is probably its defensive back core. Uh, man. Stanford is who's going to catch the damn ball, who's going to run the damn ball. Uh, Cals is who's going to play quarterback. Are they going to be any good at that position? Um, Oregon's, is can Mario Cristobal coach? Oregon State's, is can they win three games? Uh, Washington's is really... uh, It's not even necessarily a worry, but can you really replace like seven starters on defense? Because you kind of have to do that again this year. Uh, Washington State, really it's just is the trigger man going to be as good as Minchu was last year, or at least like 90% as good. Uh, Utah um, just staying healthy. I would think that probably the worry um, keeping Huntley and Zach Moss healthy Colorado. Um, I think it's just, there's so many unknowns with Mel Tucker um, and you know, is what is the look going to look like with that team? And it's not really a weakness. It's more of a worry. Like, are they going to look like they're trying to be Alabama? Cause I don't think that's the right answer for Colorado. Um, Arizona, um, yeah, can Khalil Tate, you know, get back to being Khalil Tate? Cause if he can't, they're going to have some trouble and Arizona state. I think the, 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 the only question, the only real question is how they're going to do it quarterback. Um, now that, uh, Manny Wilkins has moved on, um, is Jaden Daniels going to be able to man that position in a big way as a true freshman. It'll be interesting to see. All right, and then his non-serious question, if each Pac-12 program was a Star Wars character, who would they be? All right, now you're in my wheelhouse. Now you are speaking my damn language, my dude. All right, um, so Pac-12 Star Wars characters. All right, let's map this out. All right, USC, there's only an obvious answer here. USC is Darth Vader. Um, And I think for a lot of reasons. First, um, was very cool, like really whipped ass in like the 70s. Uh, early 80s, like dominated things, but more of late, uh, like we've learned a little bit more about him, kind of seems like a little bit more of a, for better or worse, like kind of not so much of a badass, Um, you know, kind of sucking of late, but, you know, still all time, the most badass person in the universe, right? We can say that, Um, but also evil. Let's let's not forget that. Um, UCLA I think you got to go Obi Wan Kenobi right here. Um, you know, back in the day, used to, you know, routinely, uh, kick the crap out of Vader, uh, but got pretty old, um, and gets his ass got in the Death Star, but still kind of hangs around like a ghost, occasionally, like, pissing off Vader. I think that's, that's UCLA. Uh, Stanford. Stanford feels like Chewbacca. Stanford feels like Chewbacca. Big, strong, um, you know, they're, they're, yeah, they're very educated. They're sometimes speaking a different language than us. So that sounds right. Um, but, yeah, they'll, they'll tear your arms off um, and beat you with them. That seems like a very Stanford thing to do. Uh, I think Cal. Um, let's go Cal Han Solo then. You know, they're buddies. Uh, Han Solo was, you know, was cool for a while there. Got old. Started to suck. Died, even. Um, son killed him. I don't know. That has to do with Cal. Cal's kind of sucked of late. Um, but yeah, we'll go Cal's hound solo. Um, Oregon, let's sit on Oregon for a second. Uh, Oregon state gotta go C3PO here. Gotta go C3PO. Um, just kind of gets their ass beat and clowned on all the time. That's, that's C3PO. And I think that's Oregon state, unfortunately. Uh, Washington, oh, well, I think this one is, is equally obvious. I think this is Luke Skywalker, you know, kind of a, a whiner from the sticks who had some rough days early on, but quickly, you know, became the power in the universe, uh, you know, beat Darth Vader at his own game. Um, I think that's Washington, you know, they've rested the mantle from, uh, from Vader. Uh, Washington State, Princess Leia? Yeah, Washington State, you're Princess Leia. Um, you know, your brother's cool, gets a lot of pub, but you're pretty cool, too. Like, by that last movie, you're learning how to fly through space without a space suit or a spaceship. You're just floating there. You don't even have a mask on, and you're just floating there doing things. Like, nobody even understands you, and that's Mike Leach. Mike Leach, Washington State, you're Princess Leia. Uh, Utah, you know what? We'll go with uh, we'll go new, new, new series, Last Jedi. She, Utah's Rey, you know? Maybe the New Hope, maybe, hell, maybe related to Luke Skywalker, Washington. And we all know Utah and Washington play alike, um, you know, because J.J. Abrams might get super dumb and, and and go back on what he did in Last Jedi, uh, or go back on what Ryan Johnson did in Last Jedi and make them related. So, yeah, I think I think Utah's Ray. Uh, Colorado, um, we'll come back to Colorado. Arizona and Arizona State, obvious answer. Uncle Owen, Aunt Baru. done. Uh, they're in the desert. Don't really know a whole lot about them, but they're in the desert. Uh, Okay, so Oregon and Colorado. Um, Oregon, we will go with Kylo Ren. Um, We get a lot of hype about Kylo Ren, right? We think, oh man, this guy's going to be such a badass, and then he just kind of turns out to be kind of a, I don't know, kind of second fiddle, kind of a whiner, kind of got some emotional problems. That feels like Oregon right now. Maybe, maybe, maybe Kylo Ren in the final movie becomes a real badass. Maybe Oregon in this in this uh, in this uh, this season of football actually lives up to their expectations. But for now, we'll go Kylo Ren uh, and Colorado. Let's go Lando. Lando used to do some cool stuff. Whatever happened to Lando? All right. Next up, we've got uh, Doctor Hernandez, USC. I'm a USC alum and often see current and former USC players strongly support Clay Helton and see him as a player's coach. You, Dave, and others see him as an average coach. Where do you think the balance is in keeping a guy who is liked by players um, but isn't the best overall coach? Ah, I will tell you the balance there. You do not consider it at all. It's very rare that a coach is hated by their players or anything beyond loved. Um, You have certain cases where, like, Chip Kelly – He's a little bit more that business-minded guy, so you're not necessarily developing that love-like affection. But guys love Jim Mora. Guys love Clay Helton. I'm sure guys love Sark. I'm sure guys love Kiffin. You guys love their coaches. That's just the nature of it. And I think it's that's why you don't want to take their emotions into account too much. Um, and you certainly don't want to make take that into account with the hiring decision either. Um, I think you know lots of administrations do that too much. So I, I think the balance is don't consider it at all um matt z 1439 if you were going to expand to the pac-12 and invite two more teams which two teams would you pick remove the obvious answer of texas and oklahoma and i'm working on the assumption that geography matters okay so i have two answers to this the first one is the one that like makes the most sense from like a um tv market standpoint and all that stuff and it would and ruling out the ones that they would just never get in like TCU and Baylor, like they would never allow them in, but I think you would probably go like a Houston and then Oklahoma state, something like that. Um, Because Houston will give you the Houston market. Oklahoma state will give you Oklahoma city. Um, But if you're asking me like what makes, what would be kind of the most fun or add the most like play value and all that kind of stuff. um, I don't know. Like a, like a Boise State, San Diego State. I think that could add some fun. I think both those programs are... Honestly, I think there should be like a relegation system, and I think it would be super cool if you could eventually allow those teams in and drop a couple other teams to like the Mountain West for a while. Um, but barring that, add both those teams to the league. I think that would help the football, actually. Boise State is a legitimately... Great football program now. Um, And uh, San Diego State's not horrible. You know, San Diego State would not be the last in the league um, from the jump. So, yeah. Um, Kevin Wade, our 247 colleague, asks, Is the Pac-12 actually bad? The Pac-12 is indeed actually bad, but all these things are ephemeral. All things can change, including the Pac-12's badness. I would expect in the near future, the Pac-12 to once again be good. Uh, Might not be this year, but it could be next year. Um, I think you're going to have some guys aging up into good quarterbacks. Uh, UCLA, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, JT Daniels at USC, um, Jaden Daniels at ASU. Um, There's going to be some guys who are starting to come into their own. I think Tyler Huntley will be entering his senior year at that point. Um, you'll have Jacob Eason in his second year at Washington. I think that year, 2020 could be a really, really good year in the league. Um, Shane at Shane at underscore Shane Deegan, uh, one, who are your favorite ex-players turned broadcasters in college football? Um, all right. Joel Klatt's pretty good. I like him. Uh, I like Yogi Roth. I think he's pretty good. Honestly, I, I think Neuheisel's pretty good at it. Um. And, yeah, off the top of my head, I'd say those three. Uh, What's the future of this position as the consumption experience changes? Viewer choice, all local, coaches room, just Twitter engagement with a moderator? I actually don't think so. I I think it'll always kind of stay in a centralized format, at least to a large extent. I still think the majority of the viewership will be at a centralized format. Now, whether that is uh, a true cable broadcast or some sort of internet broadcast or you know, what or an internet stream, uh, to use the proper nomenclature. Um, I don't know what it'll take the form of, but I think people like the communal experience of watching a sporting event and hearing all the same talk. And also, there's going to be varying degrees of quality. Like, yes, if you listen to hell, you listen to me talk about UCLA, I might sound a little bit better than the color commentator from like a um, and like educated about the team standpoint. But I'm also not super well practiced at being a TV broadcaster. Um, And so you're going to get some rust and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, there's going to be guys who are like pure homers and that's not going to sound great. So I would honestly hope it doesn't go too, you know, balkanized with with different feeds and all that kind of stuff. I I like what they offer for like the national title game and that sort of thing where there's like four or five different feeds and you can play around with it. But invariably, I end up watching the regular TV feed uh, for the majority of the game because it's just... And maybe it's some of it's just what I've gotten used to, and uh, people who are you know just starting to get into it now will will gravitate towards something else. But I think there is some value in that communal experience and being able to communally bitch about how bad the color commentator and play by play guy are. Um, all right, and then uh, Lobo Jangles asks, "Can you give the backstory on your profile pic? I imagine you have before, but." Yes, absolutely I can. Um, so my profile pic on Twitter is from a beautiful day in November 2013 when UCLA beat USC at the Coliseum for the first time in like a million years. And I am, so this is a photograph that was released on the AP where it's a photo of Jim Mora leading an eight clap um, in the tiny uh, UCLA section at the Coliseum. And, but over his shoulder, like a grinning um, like devil on his shoulder is me with my video camera like just between his cheek and his shoulder. Um, and it's, it's easily one of my favorite pictures because it really, really captures how much of a nonpartisan journalist I am. Um, all right. Buddy to pimp. What's a better bet? Oregon over eight and a half wins or Washington under nine and a half wins. Mm. The better bet is probably Oregon. The over, um, I think Washington going under nine and a half wins would, Require really a lot, um, so I'll go Oregon over eight and a half. Uh, what Pac-12? This is from Howard O, 1975. What Pac-12 teams pass the eye test and why? Biggest, most athletic, etc. Uh, biggest Utah. Um, that defensive line is huge. Um, and when you're talking about that, yeah, I mean you get a, some 330-pound starters on your defensive line. I think that is pretty big. Uh, most athletic, you're usually talking about Oregon and USC. Um, Oregon tends to recruit speed really well. USC tends to recruit across the board pretty well. Um, you know, the Arizona's rarely are passing that eye test. Um, Colorado, no. Washington State, no. Washington, more and more. Um, Oregon State, no. Stanford, to an extent, they got some big dudes. Um, Cal, no. UCLA, not really of late. Uh, At Curly's underscore striping, in honor of the 25th anniversary of the OJ Bronco chase and Ryan being out to nix this question, give me your top five Pac-12 athletes who fell from grace based on lost potential. Oh, boy. Um, Let me put a pin in this one, um, and we can think about this one for next week because that's a tough one to do off the top of my head. Uh, At Madrigal1Frank, how do you think college athletes getting paid will change college athletics, if at all? Um... Depends on the format it takes. Uh, if it is simply that they can start to get endorsement deals, I think it changes it for the better and without much downside. Um, suddenly, you know, guys can get at least a measure of their market worth, at least according to advertisers, um, and uh, you don't have to worry about um, you know figuring out a system for the school to do it themselves. If if you just base it off the individual. And okay, yeah, if you can, if you can secure endorsement deals, then great, you've got it. Um, and you know, there'd be some female athletes who are able to do that, especially like big time soccer players, um, and, uh, perhaps tennis players. Um, but for the most part, it would be a male dominated thing, but as is most of, uh, moneyed athletics at this point, so it wouldn't be too different. Um, but I would think maybe if you could secure something like if you're a, maybe, maybe the schools could negotiate with the different potential sponsors like the big shoe companies and stuff and say hey you have to spend an equal amount on men and women or we're not doing it maybe that could work i think that would be equitable um but i think anything where they get to choose the individuals and the individuals basically get it by virtue of their performance or charisma or stuff that's that seems fine and and very free market it's one of the few free market things i'll say is fine um and then, uh, But if it's something more than that, like if the schools have to figure out some like pool of money to dole out and it has to be even across everybody and it's got to be a stipend, then I think it gets really complicated really quick and it might um, cause more hassle than it's worth. All right, this is from SM Corson. Is the first five minutes... <laughs> okay, I'm not going to read that one. Uh, C. Falks 3. Uh, has your opinion of Herm Edwards changed from when he was first hired compared to today? How do you feel the general Pac-12 fans feel about him? Any thoughts about ASU bringing in Marvin Lewis to now have the following NFL experience? Edwards, Lewis, Pierce, mawea Hall of Fame inductee. Um, my opinion has definitely changed. Um, I don't think he's going to crash into a you know burning Hindenburg hydrogen uh, you know fireball. Um, I don't know that he's great. I don't know that Todd Graham would have done anything different with that team. Might have even got him into a better record, but. Um he's at the very least competent, which is, you know, something I obviously denigrated last year. Um, I think generally Pac-12 fans feel the same. I'm sure there's still some people who joke around about him and the things he says, but um we're a year in now and he's competently led a football program. Um and adding Marvin Lewis, I think it's good. You know, that's good value. Um, you know, you're not running you're not hiring him to run your team, but um, you know, providing some consulting, providing some extra extra set of eyes on things. I think that's great. Um This is from D Zotha. Do you think both USC and UCLA should get out of the Pac-12 and either go independent or to the Big 12? No, I don't. Uh, Ryan has a different stance on this to some extent, um, but I do not think this would be a good move. Um, I don't think it's realistic that either one of them would ever do it, uh, but they certainly shouldn't go to the Big 12, and I would rule against going independent. Um, I think there's more value for them to be had in the Pac-12 with guaranteed um, league matchups every year. Um, there's a lot of benefits of being in a league. Um, and, I don't know that everybody can follow the Notre Dame model. And I don't even know if Notre Dame really loves their model anymore. Um, W for Westwood. If you were the commissioner of an, of all PAC 12, of all power five conferences and CEO of ESPN and Fox, how would you structure the TV windows across conferences for a perfect college football Saturday? Okay. Um, I think I would start games at 11 a.m. local time. Um, And so that would mean 11 a.m. for uh, the first ACC kickoffs and SEC kickoffs. Um, Then I would probably try to get the Pac-12 starting. Uh, It's tough. I would probably try to get the Pac-12 starting by, again, 11 a.m. Pacific. But I don't know if that's realistic. I think it's all about just the the amount of hours there are in a typical Saturday, um, and well, you know, not a typical Saturday. There are 24 hours actually, just so you know, in every single Saturday. Um, but the the window of like available TV hours in a Saturday, it's somehow trying to expand that window. And I don't know if that's the right answer. Um, maybe you could use Sundays a little bit. And I know the NFL is a big dog, but I don't know. I, I think there's quite a bit of overlap in college football and, and the NFL, but. Uh, I would guess a lot of first loyalties are to their college football team. Like the people who are super passionate about it. Um, And maybe you could do it at different times of the year. You could overlap into the Sundays more. Um, I would get a little bit creative with it. um, But I think ultimately it's just, it is what it is. Um, There's just, you know, this block of time that lasts for about how long do kickoffs go? So you've got, Starting at 9 a.m. in the West Coast, and they go till about when does Hawaii kick off? Sometimes 10 p.m. on the West Coast, so it's a space of time about 13 hours where there can be kickoffs. And uh, working within that, when you have 65 teams to service, is that's tough. So I don't know that there's a good answer for it. I don't think I, I know that like fans just complain about things like oh the Pac-12 we start so late. Well, when are you gonna start? I mean, it's, uh, you can either sacrifice the TV money or not, but the end result is that you're going to have to, you know, bite some bullets and, and play some games late at night. It's just what it is. Uh, Kosher Bruin, if each Pac-12 football coach were coaching basketball, who would be the most successful? Boy. Um, the same ones as in football. Um, I think it would be the same order, too. Uh, Will the Pac-12 exist in its current form in three years? So twelve teams, two divisions? Uh I will say yes. I think the stability is there for now. I don't think it's gonna change too drastically in the next three years. And then what's your favorite meal at Apple Pan? Um man, I haven't eaten at Apple Apple Pan in probably ten years, fifteen years. Um I don't have like it's not that great. It's fine. Um I think the hickory burger was good. Um but otherwise, yeah, just okay. Um dr allen f t w if California is the only state that will pay players, does that mean that every top recruit will want to play for the california schools even if they are banned from uh playing for championships yeah that's this is where the thought experiment breaks down because I don't think there's any way that the other teams in college football are going to allow that um for California to be the only one so inevitably I think every school will or every state will start passing or or passing legislation to get their um you know schools to start paying players. Uh, So I think that's the way it ends up playing out. And then the other thing is, well, you know, top recruits find a way of getting paid even now. Um, So I don't know that it would, you know, necessarily be a deal breaker. Uh, JB37490635. That's a hell of a hell of an at there, JB. Uh, what did recruiting ever do to Chip Kelly? He treats recruiting like an ex that cheated on him. Well, got him slapped with sanctions for a while, so it did something to him. Uh, and then he also says, I would absolutely love if UCLA went private. Oh, so This is in response to the um, going independent. I would absolutely love if UCLA went private and independent. Of course, I'd also love Drake Stadium to be turned into a 50-60K stadium, but that can't happen without UCLA going private, so we can tell the rich surrounding neighborhood people to butt out. Um, going private would be horrible um for everybody but i guess not for movers and shakers at ucla um but no the 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 true flagship school of the university of california should never go private that's that's crazy uh bruin jive has ucla made any very recent adjustments to their recruiting methods considering most of the prospects that they were leading for have made commitments elsewhere yeah, I think the very recent adjustment is. Um, well, no, I'm not going to be that snarky. Uh, I don't think they did official visits in June. I don't think. I think what it was is they were recruiting guys um, and did pretty well in February and March and April, and then guys got on campus, maybe got you know, maybe had better visits at other places, and maybe UCLA still hasn't nailed that official visit process. Hard to say, um, but uh, I don't. I don't know that like what they've tried to do this cycle has changed that much. I think it's more just. Um, guys are getting better pitches from elsewhere um what is your favorite ipa from la hiking um sweetwater it's a local uh atlanta area ipa i don't care um jesse azenstat How Kelly's scheme can help deal with a lack of pass rush? Okay, how can Kelly's scheme help deal with a lack of pass rush? Like, what's the fix if the talent isn't there? Well, um, I've written about this a couple of times. I would say the main thing is embrace the idea that you're going to be bend but don't break and try to be the best bend but don't break team in the country. Um, Washington had to do this last year, and guess what? They had a top 10 defense. Now, does UCLA have Washington's talent, or have they developed them as well as Washington has? Um, No, they haven't had as much time, but... I think you can be a competent bend but don't break, bend but don't break defense without having to get after the quarterback all that much. But I think you do need to be an aggressive defense. Still, um, it's all about playing tough at the line of scrimmage and tackling really, really, really well. Um, and can UCLA do that? That's the real question. Are they going to embrace that role? We'll see. P. Dog two o six. Why are you the way that you are? This is wow. That's a that's a loaded one. Um, there's a lot that goes into it, Uh, a lot of influences in my life. Um, yeah, Uh, I'd have a tough time answering that one. Um, and then he says, never change. I'd also love to learn more about your perspective on Georgia slash the South. How is it treating you? Why did you make the move real differences versus California as opposed to exaggerated differences? You seem like a West coast guy. So I'm curious. Okay. Um, I like Atlanta just fine. Atlanta, the city is actually not a whole lot different from Los Angeles. It's a big city kind of spread out in much the same way that, um, that LA is. Um, you know, you can't get anywhere without driving for a couple, for, you know, 15, 20 minutes. Um, and so that's similar and it's a big city and it's a big, um, you know, vibrant city with lots of cool culture and all that kind of stuff. So it's not super different. Um, We made the move. Um, I think at the end of the day, if you were really nailing the reason for it, we had a lot of like kind of tangential reasons at the time, but housing prices in California uh, were certainly a big part of it. Just the cost of living uh, got to be too much, um, even on like a reasonable amount of money, um, just got to be too much. So we wanted to move somewhere a little bit cheaper. Uh, Atlanta was a good option, relatively close to another set of family um, in the Carolinas. So that was part of it. Uh, The real differences versus California as opposed to the exaggerated differences. um, uh, Everything is a little bit cheaper. Um, Really everything. Uh, Gas is probably a full dollar cheaper. Um, Housing is certainly cheaper. Um, The people, I would say, are a little bit more polite. I think that's a true thing. like, just as, like, a general forms of politeness thing. Um, I don't know if it actually works out to, like, people being nicer, but I think there is generally a more polite type of speaking here. Um, I, I, definitely the racism. I mean, and it's not so much that California is unracist, uh, but Georgia, it's a little bit more... Uh, there's a little bit more of the, like, spoken innuendo that's meant to reference certain things that everyone kind of understands to mean those certain things. And I'm trying to think of an example off the top of my head, but you just hear things that are a little bit more like, not in your face, but a little bit more uh, things that people in California probably wouldn't say out loud get said here. Um, And if you drive 30 miles outside of the Atlanta area, you are in um, whatever, whatever thing you think of when you think of the backwoods South, uh, that's where you are. 30 miles in any direction um but yeah i i mean i i I don't know if this is ever gonna be my uh quote-unquote home um but you know there's uh, atlanta is a very like this is a metropolitan city like there are people from all over who live here and it's a very diverse city um i love atlanta uh i don't know if i can i can stick in uh in georgia long term but we will see we will see and while I was rambling in response to all of that stuff, we got one from uh, Old Michael, um, who says chimes in: the football equivalent of Bill Walton would be Mike Leach. I think that's right. I think I think uh, so. We we've got a job now for uh, for our man Mike Leach. At the end of the day, he's got to take over for Bill Walton, but as the football guy. All right, well, that is it for us. Um, And by us, again, I mean me. I clocked in at an hour and 20 minutes, but I gotta tell you, this was much more difficult than anything I've ever recorded with Ryan because I had to talk for the entirety of it. I hope it wasn't too egregious. I hope it wasn't too awful. I hope it wasn't too boring. But if it was, blame Ryan and his schedule, and we will be back again hopefully next week. I don't know when Ryan's Europe vacation is, uh, but hopefully back again next week with a normal show. Until then, have a great life. How does he usually end this? will talk to you next time, maybe. Anyway, I'll see you.